it's a really important letter to read, and it's a really important letter to read stuff around it. Let me put a health warning out there about some of these things, though. You will read some of these things, some of these questions, and if you Google them, you'll find loads of answers, not all of which I would suggest are very helpful. In fact, some of which I think are really unhelpful and theologically unsound. So just be careful where you go, careful who you listen to, careful what you read, and if you're confused and you're uncertain, ask Peter. No, come and talk to us. <laughs> ask us as a team and what our views on these things are, because I do have views on these things, and I think they're, they're views that will help unpick some of them, but we have not time to get into all of those today. But they're really important that you just look at these things and talk about them. What did Paul mean? What did Paul mean in all these issues? It's quite a specific letter. Some of the problems that appear in Corinth don't really seem to appear in other places, although I think, in truth, they're probably everywhere. His answer is all about principles. You should have these principles. And, and, and the principle underlying everything is found in chapter 8, verse 1. We all possess knowledge, he says, but knowledge puffs up while love builds up. So Paul's underlying principle throughout all of his letter is, look, it's got fundamental, there's got to be love in here. Love, true love, not fluffy love, God's love. And we'll speak about what that might look like and what that might mean in, in a moment. And he continues with his principle, we've just heard about it in this passage. Paul works from the foundations of love, celebrated in the Lord's Supper, communion, breaking bread together, and two kind of guiding principles that navigate all the issues that we read about in Corinth. Number one, do what builds up the church. It's not about you and your rights and your needs and your wants. It's about the wider body, what it means to be part of the body. And I think often the danger is we've lost that in a kind of culture which is all about the individual, individual rights, individual needs, what I want, what I need, what I should have. And I think that's a real battle for younger generation. I'm looking mainly on this side of the building. There's a few young ones here, and then there's a few really old ones. But I think for the younger generation, that's a real challenge. You know, you are taught up, you've been brought up in an education system, in a cultural system which says it's all about you in the world of TikTok and YouTube. It's about you and what you want and what you need, and go and get it. Actually, we're a body. Paul says, we're a body, and we need to function together and celebrate the other. So first of all, it's not about just about what you want and what you think is right. Do what builds up the church, the body. And also, whatever you do, if it keeps people from receiving the gospel, if what you do prevents people from finding Jesus, then stop it. <laughs> kind of, Peter spoke about this really helpfully last week, talked about it last week. If you want to understand more about that, go and listen to Peter's sermon. Do what builds up the church. And if it keeps people from receiving Jesus, if what you're doing is kind of a problem for them and a barrier, we need to really look at that and understand what that is. Now, that sounds like a black and a white comment. And there will be things that we that actually... Because remember, some people walked away from Jesus. Not everyone accepted Jesus. Some people found what Jesus' teaching was too hard and too difficult, and they walked away. And Jesus didn't chase them down the road and go, no, no, hang on a minute, I'll water it down a bit so that you can accept me. There are some things that people refuse the gospel on. But if it's about us becoming, instead of a bridge for people, for the, for the gospel to cross to people, but instead we're blowing up bridges, maybe we need to rethink about that. Okay, I'm going to do something a little bit unusual that I'm sure will delight the whole congregation. I'm going to stop talking. Uh, I'm actually going to play you a video because the book of Corinthians is massive. And I'm going to play you an eight-minute video 
which I think really, really helpfully explains the letter of Corinthians um, in a much more eloquent, quicker way than I can. And it contextualizes these chapters. And you'll see they helpfully split it in the same way that I think I have into the different sections. So we don't normally do this, but I think this is a really helpful way of us understanding the letter of Corinthians and really remembering it's a letter to a bunch of people in a place, in time. Many of you know I went to Ephesus uh, last summer. And it was incredibly helpful to go to Ephesus to see this is where Paul, this is where the letter to the Ephesians was written. I saw where the church met and saw Christians with the carved crosses on these pagan buildings where people got saved. And Corinth was a real place with a bunch of people just like you, with loads of questions and problems and challenges. And Paul wrote a letter to them. This video hopefully helpfully explains it and contextualizes it. And then I'm just going to finish with a thought that God woke me up with this morning that I think ties a lot of this together. So rather than doing the rest of the sermon that I prepared, I'm just going to share a thought at the end of this. But he doesn't do it as a kind of with a heavy hand. He does it with this fatherly love. Like some of you here might not have had experienced great fathers. I appreciate that. And so our view of fathers can sometimes be somewhat distorted. Sometimes they can be absent. Sometimes they can be passive. Sometimes they can be overbearing or abusive. If you've had a good father, that's great. That's an image of what God in heaven is like. He's the perfect father. He's the good, good father. And Paul writes as, I think, a good father. He started this church. His heart yearns for them in the same way that my heart yearns for this church when I started it some 10 years ago. And my heart always will. You know, with family, right? I'm not a vicar doing a job. I mean, I am a vicar doing a job. But hopefully that, that's nowhere in my mind or my thinking. You know, this, we're family together, growing together. And, and, and I think one of the big problems facing the church in the West right now globally is that there are lots of challenges. We're no different than in Corinth with all these different philosophies pressing in, challenges, cultural ways of being, expectations of others, divisions within the church, people speaking badly about the church. Challenges of theology or how we should be or should we redefine our understanding of scripture, what we believe the word of God says. All these pressures coming in, sometimes they can be overwhelming. And it's the role, I believe, of leaders, not just the person standing on the front because there are leaders in the church here amongst us, to stand up and speak truth and to challenge some of the things that actually are wrong, even within the body as Paul does. But not to do it to score points, or to make sure that everyone finally gets it right, because I see with clarity and you don't, but to do it with love, because the church is supposed to be the vessel for which the world receives the gospel. And this is the challenge facing the church right now. Church of England, all the churches, I would suggest. I woke up this morning with a verse in my head, and I just want to share for just a few moments as I finish. This is in John 1.14. And the word became flesh, speaking of Jesus, the word became flesh and dwelt amongst us. And we have seen his glory, glory as of the only son from the father, this is the key bit, full of grace and truth. 1 John 1, 14. Jesus, full of grace and truth. I think the days that we live in, same for, the, for what Paul was really saying to the Corinthian churches, that, that you, we, need to be people of grace and truth. Not half grace and half truth. Not all grace on one issue and all truth on another issue. 
all grace and all truth all the time. Or in the gospel, I don't think in this situation it's supposed to be an option. Sometimes we extend grace and sometimes we speak truth. Now we need to speak truth all the time with grace all the time. What do I mean by this? Well, I think personality-wise often affects us. Personality, upbringing, our life experiences, and a whole bunch of other factors mean that often people and Christians tend to lean one way or another. What does that look like? Well, truth people are really easy to admire. You really know where they're coming from, whether or not you agree with them. But they have their convictions, they have their principles, they believe in right and wrong. They set standards, they speak out against injustice and wrongdoing and evil. They're articulate, they're well-spoken. But without grace, telling truth can become an excuse for belligerence or bullying or setting things right. Truth people without grace are loyal to their cause, but often I think you end up wondering whether they're really loyal to people. Do they really love me? Or do they just want to prove their point? They want to change us, they want to make us better, but they don't really allow much room for mistakes, or discussion even sometimes. They're quick to cast judgment on others. They make difficult decisions, but they also make life difficult for others and sometimes for themselves. They can be slow to forgive. They inspire us with their courage and boldness, but sometimes they turn us off with their intimidation and the kind of hardness that they feel sometimes. Those are people who operate just in truth. Maybe you've been in a church like that where the truth is preached or spoken or you're challenged, but you end up feeling crushed or unable to operate in that environment or there's no room to allow me to grow into that truth. And then, of course, there are grace people. Well, grace people are just really nice to be around. They don't ruffle any feathers. They cut people a lot of slack. They're easygoing. They accept us for who we are. They don't make demands. They're always welcoming, but without truth, grace isn't really grace. It's just being accepting and nice. I think this is a problem for large parts of the church in the West. We're really nice, but we don't challenge. Grace people are really nice to be around, but we wonder if they really like us or if they're just trying to be likable. Being affirming and being grace-filled are not the same thing. Grace people are tolerant, but they often don't know the difference between right and wrong, or at least they don't articulate it. Or they don't care to line up with one way or the other. They kind of sit on the fence or straddle backwards and forwards, depending on who they're with. Grace people can sometimes be cowardly, fear of man. They don't want to speak up in case they cause offence or become excluded. They often refuse to make tough life decisions. They demand nothing from others and get nothing in return. They accept us for who people are, but they never help us become who we might be, who we should be. If you're a grace person, you're more concerned about being loved. If you're a truth person, you're more concerned about being right, even if it means being unloved. Both have their dangers. 
something is wrong if everyone hates you, and something is probably just as wrong if everyone likes you. So how does the church fit into that? Because Jesus, we heard in that verse earlier on, was full of grace, but he was also full of truth. It's not either or. It's not a balance. It's both in fullness. I think that's what the church needs to be in these days. And we need help, if I'm honest, to do that. Grace and truth walked amongst us. Jesus walked amongst us. He was all grace. He welcomed sinners and tax collectors into his home. He was outrageous. He hung out with prostitutes. He talked to the woman at the well. One of my favorite stories. If you haven't seen it on The Chosen, watch it. It makes me cry every time I watch it. Because you see this man full of grace and truth. He had compassion on the crowds when they were hungry and far from home. He welcomed the little children to sit on him and pull his beard and ruffle his hair and stick their snotty fingers in his eyes. He welcomed them with such tenderness and affection. He healed the lepers. He touched the lepers. Again, spiritually outrageous. He would have, he would have been defiled for touching a leper as a, as a rabbi, as a Jew. But he did it and brought healing. The lame, the blind, he healed. He saved the criminal on the cross who was there rightly being punished, who in his dying breath confessed that Jesus was the Son of God and he forgave him in that moment and brought him to life. But Jesus was also all truth. He condemned many of the religious leaders, called them out as liars and hypocrites. He was outrageous, some of the things that he said. He challenged his disciples his friends, when they kind of were doing things that was wrong, love motivated him to speak against it and say, come on, you can do better than this. There's a better way. He prophesied judgment on Jerusalem for their unrepentant hearts. He told his disciples to daily, you need to pick up your cross and follow me. He said uncomfortable things, so uncomfortable, like I said earlier, people left. They didn't want to follow him, some of them, because it was too hard. But that was truth, full of grace. He, sets, he, he obeyed the law, he set standards and demanded everything from his followers, even their very lives. Jesus came from the Father full of grace, full of truth, all grace, all truth, all of the time. And being a follower of Jesus means we should be the same. We should look like the one who we follow. And that's the challenge. That was the challenge for Paul to the church in Corinth. You know, you claim to follow this Jesus, but you have all this stuff amongst you, which makes you look no different from the world. I long for you to be filled with true love, love of God, which will give you a passion to be holy, set apart. Why are you here, church, he says? What is your purpose? You, you need to understand that how you engage together, how you live together, how you serve and love together will be a mirror of, of, of your love for God or not. It's a real challenge. It's a challenging letter. But fundamentally under everything was love. And if you really love God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength, Paul's saying, then you need to be obedient. You need to live a life that's worthy because people will look at you and they'll see Jesus. That's what it's about. Hebrews 10, 24 to 25 says this, Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as some are in the habit of doing so, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. 
I just want to close in prayer. I'm just going to finish with a little bit of worship. As we uh, have been thinking about Corinthians, I think we're, uh, we're going to look at 2 Corinthians in, in November. I want us to just pause for a moment and ask the Lord to search our own hearts. Lord, where am I lacking grace? In some of the ch challenges that the church is facing right now, where do I need more grace for my brothers and sisters? Where do I need more grace for those who don't yet know you? But Lord, also, where am I not speaking the truth or living in truth? Where in, are there parts of my lives where I'm compromising? Or where you want me to speak up boldly, but I choose to be silent because I'm worried about being excluded or I'm worried about offending others? Lord, the days that we live in, there's too much of a, a cost. This is a day where you're calling your church to wake up, to become the true, vibrant, glorious bride that you're longing for. Because Jesus, you're coming back soon. And you're coming back for a glorious, resplendent bride. Not a bride that's cowering in the shadows or, or, or a bride that's become religious and hard. You're looking for a, a bride that is full of grace and full of truth. Would you help us in our fear or in our hardness of heart to be all that you want us to be? Let's just pause for a moment and make our own prayers, our own petitions to God in silence just before we go and close with some worship.